going on, everybody? You're listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have with us author, journalist, storyteller. She's been featured in GQ magazine, CNN Travel, NBC, and Travel Channel. Carly Fisher, how you doing, Carly? Hello, how are you doing? Good. I'm really excited to have you on the same show. I've <laughs> I've been talking about this leading up to this episode. I didn't tell you that before we started the recording, but super stoked, super excited. So I'm glad this time is here. Uh, really quick, before I introduce the topics, I just want to go ahead and shout out to all the listeners. Thank you guys for continuing to support the same show, continuing to like, share, subscribe, and get the word out there. Everybody across the world really means a lot. Thank you for the support. And if you're listening and you're not following us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show. That's same S A N E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can find us on Facebook, the same show again on Facebook is the same show. So today we're going to be talking about the art of storytelling. And then we're going to talk about writing for a major publication. Following that, we're going to have an interview with Carly so the listeners can get to learn more about you, the work that you do, and all the cool things that you have going on. So let's go ahead and kick it off, the art of storytelling. So obviously everybody knows, I always have a discussion with my guests before the show and always let them know where I'm coming from. And doing what you do, I really couldn't think of a better person to have this conversation with. And like we were talking about before the show, there's more storytelling than just having a beginning, middle, and I think about it too. I was telling you about how I listened or how me being a podcaster, that was one of the things that I learned early on taking and especially like I, I see the growth that I've made and I've gone and listened to other shows. And even when I was doing the research, I, I was reading like this one article and it was talking about how everything has a beginning, a middle and an end. And just because it has a beginning, middle and an end doesn't make it a story or a, a good story at that. Like there are certain elements to stories beyond just those basic things that, because like one of the examples they were using is that a pencil has a beginning, middle and an end, you know, the point. I think when it comes to storytelling, you have to remember that there's multiple ways to do it, right? Like what constitutes a story? Yes, there is a beginning, middle and end, but also sometimes stories are not consistent. Sometimes there are gaps and pauses. Sometimes there are hidden parts and things that are beneath the surface. And when it comes to telling a story, it depends on which one you actually want to tell. So if you're doing classic journalism, like I do, you might have more of a utility base. Like for instance, maybe somebody wants to know where to get a sandwich and that's all they need to know is like this store opened and you can go there and that's all you need to know about it. That's one story. Another one could be how did this shop come to open and what was the backstory behind that and what, how did they toil to make this open? How did they make it into a full business and what is their life like on the daily? That's sort of a slice of life aspect. And maybe the person who opened it or the person who makes the bread in the back comes in every single day and that person has been there for 30 years and they just make bread the same loaf over and over again. Or maybe they have some other story that's not at the shop at all and that's how they made their or how they got there and how they made a connection. I think ultimately 
stories exist every day, but in order to tell it, you have to ask the right questions. You have to be curious. You have to listen to people and you have to see what they're not saying and try to get it out of them. I agree. You, you bring up a, a great point when you talk about small businesses, right? Because you know, one of the things I mentioned to you earlier is storytelling in brands. And I'll say my top, my, my top two brands, Volkswagen. I love Volkswagen. I drive a Volkswagen. And I, I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago, and I'm telling him about, or I asked him, I said, you know, what is it that when I talk about Volkswagen as a brand that makes you interested? He's like, the passion is not just, a, you don't talk about it like it's just a car. Mm-hmm. That just gets you to point A and B. Like there's a, and all these aspects he is describing is basically like a story. Like there's a story. I always tell people it's not, it's not just, I bought this car. No, I've owned one. I learned how to drive a stick in one. Like there's a story behind why I'm so connected to the brand. Now that takes me to the next company, uh, Coca-Cola. And they have this video on YouTube that they rolled out years ago. It's called uh, 2020, their 2020 vision. And basically, it's like this content, it's this video, and it's, it's one of those like marketing videos where you have somebody drawing, trying to give the viewer a visual of what their strategy is. And mm-hmm. it was like content 2020. It's such a great video, even though the plan didn't really work out like they wanted it to. The idea behind their marketing strategy, which is still seen in, in how they market their products today, because content marketing, very big, right? And Mm -hmm. one of the things that with content marketing is storytelling. And one of the things that they were talking about in their content 2020 strategy is, okay, telling a story through our brand, through our commercials and people being able to resonate with that. Because even when I think about today's culture of storytelling or with people being able to connect with brands or people being able to connect with certain music artists or people being able to connect with certain authors, it's the story, right? Because people want to feel connected. And it's like you were saying, you know, being able to draw on emotion and being able to draw on whatever else it is that makes that person feel like they can relate to the story that's being told. I actually had worked in content marketing for a very long time and spearheaded the print was a it was a multi-platform cross-integrated program for U.S. Foods called Food Fanatics. Basically, U.S. Foods had wanted to create a custom publication that was a food magazine geared towards independent restaurants around the country. And they wanted a super cool custom magazine. And I had worked at a custom marketing publication, publishing house in Chicago, and basically helped drive national restaurant trends with independent restaurants around the country where I would help with business solutions, figuring out basically, all right, let's look at what's happening at Bon Appetit, Sever, whatever, but also let's look at independent restaurants and connect them through solutions and say, hey, this is what's hot. This is what's working. Um, and this is how we were able to make success with our business. Here's how we were able to drive seasonal traffic, et cetera. And we did that with independent restaurant restorators and their staff. So while they were doing that, we also, we worked on it as a print magazine. So it was distributed nationwide. It ended up picking up multiple content marketing awards. And on top of which, it ended up generating a whole digital program. They had an experiential program with food shows and trade shows around the country. Through that, I think one of the things was that we were able to show that you can make really quality storytelling through the lens of the brand, which is that 
I guess in the same way, it, it was not just about the brand. It's about the people. It's about what they're doing. And then maybe the brand is involved with it in that way. But I think that was the case with food is that U.S. Foods was the second largest food distributor in the country. And when you talk about stuff like Volkswagen, you think about your experiences with Volkswagen and maybe you like certain things about that car over another one, but it's about the drive. It's about being on the open road. Maybe like with Red Bull, I do work with them. Red Bull does a lot of music and experiential stuff. So they support independent artists and things like that. So when I've done work with them, we've used B-Boys that have been sponsored by them to go and dance around the world and travel. I've done work on Las Vegas and how that has been transforming through the lens of Red Bull and the EDM experience and music experience. Mm. And I think ultimately a brand is usually trying to be connected to something with people and they want to be prevalent in their lives and be a part of that memory. And that's just been part of marketing since Mad Men days. You know, I mean, Don Draper doing the Coca-Cola ad or whatever. I mean, there was always meaning and storytelling that was trying to be there as part of selling an experience. And whether or not the brand is part of that, I think people are just looking to have inspirational experiences. And sometimes brands want to sell that as being part of that journey. So I think that's really where content marketing lies right now is in creating that experience. And that's been a lot of what I've been focusing on is actually with my own book that I put out is on experiences because I wanted people to experience them through small businesses and supporting smaller businesses because maybe you need a Volkswagen to get there, but also you can support a smaller local sustained community. So I think both should work in tandem together. All right, now we're back. We're going to talk about writing for major publications now. And I'm really excited about this topic because you doing the work that you do, Carly. It, yeah, I was thinking, I'm like, you know, what is it? <laughs> what is it like doing that work? Whether you know, you're a freelance writer or a staff writer, I know we were trying to figure out what we were going to do with the labels, but like, what is it just being a writer in general? Like, I was just really curious, honestly, when I think about it, like whether you, you know, I'm writing for Red Bull or whether I'm writing for GQ, like you do, I'm honestly, I'm just, it just sounds like a lot of pressure <laughs> working with these major brands that are well-known and then having to put together uh, an article or something, you know, to, to, to be published for, everyone to see and obviously like how I'm thinking about it whether you're on staff or not them publishing that I'm just thinking as a company like that's representation for them so I'm not even thinking about like the I guess like the content yes but also I'm just thinking <laughs> simple things like errors right because that, at the end of the day especially as a creative you know you want to be careful about what you put out and not putting out something that people are going to look at and say what what were they thinking when they wrote this? <laughs> well, the thing is, lifestyle is basically marketing, right? So the thing is, is like, it's been a little difficult because I think, uh, you know, it's funny. If you think about traditional print models, it used to be so different. And that's the thing with media. There's so much more media now than there used to be. But the model has changed as a result of the digital footprint. So back in the day, when you had a circulation with a print model, you'd have a certain amount of magazines and you'd have a subscriber base. And you would be putting out all the content that you felt was relevant. And then you would have a space for advertisers and that's how they'd pay in. The problem with 
content marketing, of course, is that they've just absorbed the whole model into making their own magazine, where it's 100% their own advertising. So as a result of that, it's created a little bit of a riff in traditional media because they're contingent on algorithms, click rates, and everything where it's sort of devalued the written word because they're not getting as much of an ad spend anymore. So that is the double-edged sword when it comes to content marketing and traditional journalism is with lifestyle, it didn't really seem, I mean, you're telling people how to go spend their money, right? So when it comes to going and telling people which 20 backpacks for GQ, like for travel, I wanted to personally inspect all of them because yeah, I could just look online and tell you these are 20 really nice backpacks. Nobody needs me to tell them that. But I wanted to say, does this stack up to it? Does it hold up? Is this worth it? Because we used to have arbiters of taste, people who were chosen to be trustworthy curators. And now everyone thinks they can do it. So as a result of that, there's when you talk about who you can trust and who's worthy of doing it, you also say who's putting in the legwork to do it. And it's yeah. really hard to tell with that because in a traditional newsroom model, you would have a full staff. It would be not only the head of, you'd have your publisher, but you'd have editors, managing editors, copy editors. There's, there's a whole chain of command, fact checkers. And the thing is, is that as it would be passed through, there was more time. It wasn't as immediate. Now, because of the digital footprint, they're reliant on using these numbers as the circulation model. So it's different because having a circulation of 100,000, you have people who are doing a direct buy into the magazine, and then you can also make a money make money on the profit with advertising. So it's a little strange now because when you talk about the value of the written word or content versus having an all-state ad or an advertisement that's on a hockey game, right? One banner ad and they're paying millions of dollars for that. But to have a full article put together, it's not going to, it's going to be like 200 bucks or under. I mean, you'd be lucky if it's 200 bucks. Now it might be like 75, $50. If you get higher rates, a lot of the traditional journalists who have moved into content marketing might make some more money, but it's really just everything's kind of in flux with what these prices are and what they mean. And newsrooms are becoming obsolete. Content is becoming obsolete. And as brands become entertainment producers, I also feel like that becomes dangerous territory for people not actually getting of the immediate information that was a tenet of history from the beginning of time. This is how journalists, you know. (laughs) To me, what that, it it sounds like what's happening in in journalism is that it sounds like the same thing that's happening across other forms of, or other medium. Yeah, I mean, there's an influx of people coming in. It's creating a lot of noise. It's diluting the, I guess, the value of it yep. and making it harder for those. It's just like with music, right? The, the good, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to come across good artists because you have a lot of bad artists out here. <laughs> it's hard to come across good writers because you have a lot <laughs> like of bad artists. Like the music industry, right? Yeah. So <laughs> what it, it's a matter of what's right isn't always popular, but what's popular isn't always right. And I believe... Mm-hmm. You'll have to forgive me. I believe that that's a very famous quote and I don't have it on me. I believe it was Franklin Roosevelt, but I could be wrong because I'm uh, unfortunately not fact checking that on the spot with it. But it is a very popular opinion because it's things that I think everyone needs to be looking back at history. I think people need to be getting back into books. I think there is a lot of entertainment, but in order to progress the future, you have to look to the past and that all of these things work in tandem across generations. And as things change and grow and we have this digital footprint, 
I do think that the spread of ideas needs to be more defined and slow down a little bit because we're work, we're ch- working so tirelessly and quickly to churn a profit and to make things, but communities don't need to move this fast. We need to be working on agriculture and sustainability and our earth, and we need to be working together to make things as a community together. So I want brands to be part of that journey, but as part of that, they need to be investing back into the communities that they're trying to have people buy from because I I just hope that people will continue to have the spread of ideas and really creative ones that inspire them to do something different. It's very easy to follow what everyone else is doing to change the model and do something different requires taking risks and trying something different. So I hope that whatever format that people continue to subscribe to, that they also look into creating more sustainable action that brings people together within their communities, whether it's working to build a community center or a garden or uh, after-school programming or things that get people working in tandem that isn't just on their phones and creating a digital footprint because we need to be more actively involved with people and conversations. And storytelling, by the way, can exist in that form too because community-organized storytelling, group shares, these are the things that inspire people to really get back into making things happen and having people come out. And if you invest your dollars back into your community and to growing things, growing ideas, growing people, um, that's where I think the biggest change is going to come. Brands will always sell cars and suitcases and whatever. And I'm ha- I wanted to sell experiences to people, but I wanted people to, to have those experiences. So that's been my goal for 2020 is I want people to get use the internet to get offline. Use it as a meeting place or an idea like to get in your Volkswagen and say, we're going to go. And I'm not even sponsored by Volkswagen. So I have no loyalty to them. Whatever your car is, I'm like, do it where you can go and meet up and have a cup of coffee and maybe craft together or make a magazine or do something with your local musicians and artists and say, hey, we're going to have a gallery night and we're going to do these things. Because honestly, if you looked in the past, these ideas have always been relevant. And a lot of times people get scared. And they abandon it. And I think this is a great time to really continue producing great ideas, even if they're not on a large scale, because we don't all have to be giants in the industry. Sometimes making a zine or a podcast or just doing something is the best way to spread an idea, because simply trying something is easier than not doing anything at all. It's easy to do nothing. So I think that there's a lot of really good opportunities now, even when it seems like there aren't, because if it seems like nothing is going on, start it. <laughs> Go on a, that trip you always <laughs> wanted to do, you know, write that book you always wanted to write. The only person stopping you is you, you know? That's true. I agree. And I should know because I just wrote a book and I spent two years doing it and it was very difficult, but I did it. So if you want to write a book, the only it's like it's like going for a run. My friend said this. I was complaining about going to the gym one day. I was like, oh God, going to the gym, it's such a hassle. I have to like, get my shoes on, I have to get my stuff together, then I got to get there and be focused on it and come back. And it ends up taking all this time. She's like, I don't know, you like running, don't you? All It seems like all you have to do is just go. And I'm like, you're right. All I have to do is literally walk outside my house and run. That's all I have to do. It doesn't matter how far. Most people is the first yeah. step. <laughs> yeah. It's taking the it's- first step. All right, now for the interview. 
get to ask you some questions so the listeners can learn a little bit about you, learn about what you do and some of the cool things that you have going on. So I want to go ahead and start with my first question. As a freelance, you're an entrepreneur. What have been some of your learning curves? Oh, man, finances are a really big one. Just having to figure out how to manage. You have to do so much invoicing and chasing your checks. And then also with the taxes, they can become kind of complicated. So FYI, if you want to get into becoming your own business, especially in an intellectual property capacity, there's a lot of negotiations and you get burned a lot and you really have to suss out your rate. So definitely do not quit your day job until you are like fully secure in what you think you're doing with it, (laughs) because having that check in hand is very important to doing this. You know, I started this. 15 years ago. And when I started, you know, I was just at a college. It was just the depression was then too, you know, economy was bad. It was like 2008. And we were saddled with all this debt. And I was working, I think I was working doing clerking and filing at Kaplan University. I was working evening hours as a hostess. And I was freelance writing while also doing an internship. And all these internships were unpaid. So the thing is, is that I end up building my clips and taking opportunities. But one of the things that I started off is I started my own blog. It was called the Chicago Brunch Blog. I just built an entire website while I was working as a secretary at some office. I just would update three to five times a week. And I built an entire directory of brunch that was around Chicago. And I'd take photos and I would talk about different brunches. And I built a Twitter and all that because it was brand new. That's how I got picked up by NBC was that I built my own audience. And I feel like what I did then versus what I did now, maybe it's the same, but maybe it's different because I think the internet is a little oversaturated now than it used to be. And trying to create your niche and what an audience is is a little bit more competitive. But I think ultimately, when you talk about doing something you love or why you're doing it, you ultimately accept that you're not going to be getting a lot of money for it and you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. I know you you talked about traveling Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff that you've done. So when you're putting together your content, whether it be food or travel or anything else, how do you go about picking what you're going to recommend? I feel like this is such an interesting process. Well, it's a little bit hard, right? Because the thing is, if you're an editor, you're the person that's in control. Otherwise, you have to pitch people all the time, which means that you're going to get rejected left and right until somebody takes an idea and they like it. So I pitch lots of ideas and sometimes they'll be picked up and sometimes they won't. And for me, sometimes they give you a sign. I like assignments because at least I know I can give them exactly what they want to spec. And that's when I see it as a business is that for me, I see anything that I research where if somebody says, we want to know 10 of the best coffee shops that are in Seattle, I want to say, okay, I'll find out what the 10 best coffee shops are in Seattle. Or like, we want to know where is the best getaways? Like what I did with my book, I wanted to curate it. Because I wanted to stand by every place that I put in that book. And I wanted to make sure that every place that people were going in there was supporting somebody that I believed in what they were doing. So as far as when it comes to how an editor or a publication chooses a topic, it's kind of dependent on each editor and each publication. That's the one thing with writing about publications is it's not about you. It's about your audience. It's about their readership. So when I write for the, the audience at GQ, their audience is different than the one at Voters Travel or CNN Travel. If you write about food for Eater, it's different than writing about food at Sever or Gastronomica or writing recipes or editing recipes, writing about edibles. All of these topics are 
just topics. You just have to have curiosity and an interest in trying to discover the truth and make it so people can understand it. That's why when I say that if you're writing about food or travel or what that means, it could mean so many things. It's kind of a matter of what you want to do, where you want to go and who you want to write for and why you're doing that. Because otherwise, if you just want to write for yourself and you only care about your own opinions, then write your own magazine or do your own podcast or do whatever. But if you're going to write for GQ, it's not about you. It's about who reads GQ. And you have to think about that as a demographic. That's the big difference between marketing and journalism, I think, is simply what the objective is, because it's about demographics and readership. And that's just how I see it and the difference of who I write for. Interesting. You have a good point. You bring up a really good point. All journalism so, about you, because otherwise it's opinion-based, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you, um, like op-ed sections. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's true. You touched on this a little bit earlier and also in the previous responses, but you're releasing a book soon, Easy Weekend Getaways to the Hudson Valley and Catskills, short breaks from New York City. Can you tell the listeners what to expect from that? It sounds really exciting too. First of all, I am so excited about Hudson Valley and the Catskills. Like, I cannot wait for this book to come out. It's already number one uh, Catskills travel uh, pre-sale guides on the Amazon. So I'm very happy about that. And I think it'll probably do well in Hudson Valley too. At least I'm hoping so, especially as viewer support like you. But <laughs> the thing is, is that I took on this project not really knowing what I was getting into. And I didn't realize how big the region is. But Hudson Valley and the Catskills are two super prolific age-old regions that have a storied history really attached to the early roots of American history even in terms of art and culture and agriculture, everything. So wherever you go there, there's something new happening, but you're around so much history. And I love that, especially about the East Coast. I have to say, I mean, the West Coast is fine, but I love the history <laughs> of the East Coast, you know? I think it feels really connected there in a really beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And I love that because New York City is very... It's always been connected to Hudson Valley, the Catskills. It was a huge travel center for commerce. So along the Hudson River, there's these grand estates from Lyndhurst and the Rockefellers and the Roosevelts. As part of that, it was the same place where the original roots of early American art were formed. Like There have been so many things that have happened throughout. If you're looking through the history of America, you can really see that throughout this whole region with the different populations that have traveled through there, settled through there and even vacations there. So now it's become a very trendy destination because it had become very downtrodden for a long time and it's revitalizing massively right now. I don't know if you've seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but even the resort culture from there is starting to pick up again. But all of these towns have these beautiful, like anything that you want to do there, you can do. I love that it has unique art and artists, music. There's all these interesting uh, enclaves that you can really visit. And there's food experiences with agriculture. There's so much sustainability happening with independent breweries, wineries, spirit makers. The Culinary Institute of America is located there. So some of the best and brightest culinary talent that makes it from New York City has actually tried to relocate up to Hudson and Beacon, which is where a lot of the the hype had started happening as people were like, you know, it's a little overcrowded in New York. We want all the culture and things that we experienced in Brooklyn. We want that way of life, but we want it, you know, in a smaller, slower pace that's more community focused. 
So as a result of that, there's hiking, there's fishing, you can go along the rivers. There's so many activities that you can do that I think are really amazing. And that's why the entire book is based on experiences. No matter what you want to do, there's something to be done there. So I'm very excited to show that off and to have them do weekend experiences because even with sustainability and agriculture, I think there's so much inspiration with local spirit and community and small makers and people saying like, hey, we can take a place didn't have as much economic you know, growth and there's so much opportunity to just start our own thing. Let's open up our own bakery. Let's open up our gallery. Let's do a sculpture park. Let's help the National Park Service. Everything that's happening there, I think is a really beautiful story. And the way that I did it was on experiences. So whether or not you read my book, you'll at least have tips to go have a fun time. Everything that's there is really cool and people really love their communities, whether it's in Hudson Valley or the Catskills or into their own communities. But I will say it is geared towards New Yorkers because the thing is, is if a New Yorker can do it, anyone can do it because New Yorkers <laughs> are some of the people on the planet who can't be bothered to do anything. So I made it easy for you to get camping equipment if you don't have it. If you need to get there without a car, there's ways that you can rent it with Zipcar or other things taking the train or whatever, because I felt like if a New Yorker could do it, anyone could do it. So that's where I see a lot of the most interesting things that are going to be happening in the country right now in terms of food, culture, art, all of that is going to be getting a lot of attention there. And it's definitely a place to watch. And I should know this because I have done the food and restaurant and travel trends for 15 years for the national industry. And I think Hudson Valley and the Catskills are one of the most exciting places on the planet. And when does that come out? Well, it comes out for 2020. So I'm going to say for 2020. Using the internet to get offline. I want people to get more print. And I want them to be invested in uh, radio and communication because I think these should all exist in tandem instead of trying to overlap one another. So, um, because I'm like, we need to have meaning. This matters. <laughs> I care so much about people. I care so much about people and communities and like sustainability and agriculture. And I feel like I right it. now, you need to I'm care about it. it. You got to care about your earth, right? You got to care about your communities. Otherwise, we can't sustain any of this stuff. So right. start with like travel, get, in, get ideas, bring them back home if you want that. I think everybody needs to have some inspiring ideas to jumpstart something cool in their communities. And when you read the book that I have from Hudson Valley and the Catskills, I think everyone will be, I think just so many people don't even know what's going on up there. So that's, I cannot wait for this book to come out. So now because we talked about the book, that's something exciting going on. I guess what, what's another exciting moment in your career thus far? Well, I did get my James Beard nomination in 2018. That was very exciting for me. That was on working with these, actually it was called The Family Table. And it was with four iconic French chefs talking about being immigrants, moving to the U.S. during the 70s and 80s. I guess it must have been the 80s. It was Eric Repair, Jean-Georges Van Gruyten, Danielle Boulud, and Francois Payard, who are still iconic chefs between France and the U.S., and talking about getting their start in the New York dining scene and becoming friends as immigrants in a new country. And um, that is something that I always loved about New York is the immigrant story is that if you're in New York, you're a New Yorker and that should be the case anywhere. It's wherever you end up landing is where your home is. And I think I was really proud to work on that with Sienna because I did all of the writing for them and it also had a video segment. And I like that because I think we should read these stories and also see them in action. 
And I was really proud to work on that. And I did another one in New Orleans as well as a follow-up to that. So in Hudson Valley and the Catskills, the culinary scene, I think, is really what I'm very excited about drawing that in with the family table because I think there's more stories to be had there. And uh, I am looking forward to continuing to tell those stories. That's the good stuff. Really quick before I let you go, you could tell the listeners where they can find you on your website, social media, all that kind of stuff. I definitely want them to stay on top of your work and also you know, be on the lookout for your book and things like that. Well, first of all, I will say a really smart habit that everyone should have is to pre-order your books through your local bookstore. You can. I'm delighted if you get them through Amazon. That's fine too. That works for me. But I will say when you order it through your local bookstore, you, whether it's through my book or any book that you're interested in, you help support your local bookstore and the, the author themselves. And independent bookstores are so important. We need to keep brick and mortar stores open. And so please do that. First of all, if you are going to buy my book, I highly recommend mine or any book doing, and you can do it online too. You don't even have to go in there. You can pre-order it through there. They'll stock it and you've helped two different people at once. It's like a two for one. And then second, my social media, you can follow me. I, I'm on Twitter as Carly A. Fisher, but I also am on Instagram, which I think is my favorite medium because I get to show you all the pictures of travel and inspire you to go to neat places and discover them that way. So you can follow me at Dinner with Carly at there uh, um, at an Instagram. And then on my website is carlyafisher.com. So uh, wherever you find me, I'm still uh, centralizing it. I'm a little bit of an Easter egg hunt, but I'm uh, very excited between this book and um, my website and Instagram mostly to show you stuff. I feel like sometimes Twitter can be a little bit of a negative space. I really like being on Twitter. I feel like it's a little yeah. I'm like in a happy place and people like me who work in basically everybody in cannabis travel and food is like, eh, we like sharing photos and stories. So we're going to be on Instagram now, <laughs> <laughs> but I also have a Facebook page. So if you need, I, I'm on all the, the social media, just look for Carly Fisher and you'll be able to find me. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, mm-hmm. it, it was definitely a pleasure you know, having you on the same show. Really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show as well. Like I said, really excited to have had you come on and finally glad that this has happened. Definitely have to have you back on in the future. And for the listeners, if you haven't, if you didn't catch any of that, there's a rewind button. Go write it down. Go follow her. Go check her out. Stay on top of what she's got going on. And my degree is actually in entrepreneurship, so I'm big on supporting small businesses and local businesses. So if you guys can, please go out and support not just your bookstores, your, but your restaurant, your local bars, everything that you can. Buy local at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with Otherwise, that being said. Where are you going to go? go if the restaurants and bars are all closed. You got to go in. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very true. It's the time to start opening up your own bookstore and your own dream vision. I know people who are doing it every day, and I'm very excited mm-hmm. for them. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. So, yeah, be sure to do that, guys, and continue liking, sharing, subscribing to The Sane Show and, you know, continue to spread the word. So you are listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.